Uh, I want to start a new series today, uh, Four Skills Every Man Needs to Succeed. Four Skills Every Man Needs to Succeed. And uh, skill number one is this, and we're going to talk about it today, is we have got to learn to master our moods. We have got to learn to master our moods. You know, there's a belief sometimes, and, and sometimes, guys, we, uh, we kind of give ourselves cop-outs. We kind of give ourselves uh, uh, the idea that I just can't control my mood. I just lose it and I can't control it. I'm at the office, I lose it and I can't control it. Uh, I'm in a conversation with my wife, I lose it and I can't control it. Uh, I am, uh, I'm driving down the road, road rage now. I'm, I just lose it and I can't control it. And guys, uh, if you look, uh, here's what we know. Uh, those men who do not do a good job of mastering their moods and controlling their emotions, they end up on a scale uh, that, um, that their relationships with their wives are not as satisfying. Their relationships with their kids uh, become disjointed. Their relationships with those they work with and at the office, uh, they, uh, they end up breaking down. You know, and so I want to encourage you guys, if you and I are going to be successful in life, regardless of your age, you better learn to master your mood. You better learn to control your moods. And a lot of times uh, we have a tendency as men just uh, to kind of cop out on this thing and say, that's just the way I am. You know, I, I just fly off the handle and then I'm better. Well, the problem is when you fly off the handle, the problem is you've cut everybody else. You've hurt them. Uh, once you've said something, once you've done something, uh, they can never forget. And we can then compartmentalize that and say, that's behind us. And then what happens? Those we love are sitting there with a smoldering wound that we just want to say. And then we look at our wives and say, I don't want to talk about it, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of what we do? We fly off the handle, we create this thing, or we're in the midst of this thing, and then all of a sudden, we just want to say it's over, it's done. I've said what I've wanted to say, and our wives, or those we love, or those we have a relationship with, they're just smoldering, right? And then all of a sudden, they say, hey, can we talk about what you said today? And you go, no, it's over. Well, guess what? You pile one of those up on another, up on another, over a year and a decade and 20 decades, and all of a sudden the person you're with is going to look up and say, I'm done, and you're going to be shocked. And I will tell you this, guys, as we journey into this, part of this, this idea uh, is... Is, is, is certainly embedded in Scripture, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but it's also embedded in my experience as a pastor that uh, there have been on a number of occasions that uh, I've had a guy call me and, um, and say, can we talk? Can we have coffee? Can we go have a lunch? Can we have a breakfast or something? And um, I don't know that much about this individual or, or this couple or anything. And then all of a sudden, he will say, my wife just told me she's leaving me. And she told me she's done. And you begin to dig below the surface. And, um, you know, it doesn't take a lot of investigative pastor work to realize he's kind of been running over her forever. He's kind of been a jerk to her forever. And now all of a sudden, she has smoldered for a long time, and now she showed up and just said, I'm done. And she says, I'm out. 
And if you look at the difference between men and women, a lot of times uh, men have a tendency, well, from time to time we'll split up or we'll pull away or we'll threaten to do certain things when it comes to a relationship. But a lot of times by the wife, by the time the wife gets to the place where she shares that information with the husband, she's done because we've shut them down and we've shut them down and we've shut them down. What happens is they begin to talk to other people and they develop a base. And so guys, we need to understand, same thing in business, same thing in relationships, same things in, in friendships, that we say something we regret. We regret. Had a good experience and, and I, I, I actually told uh, uh, one of the guys uh, that was telling me about, the guy that was telling me about it, uh, that he needed to come this morning. There was two years ago, I can tell you it was two years ago, that uh, we were at a church golf tournament, our church golf tournament. And there was a foursome that was playing near us and they were all buddies and stuff like that. And one of the guys ended up having to stay at the office and not come play. So this foursome got hung out with a threesome, right? Well, what happens at a church golf tournament, if you are a threesome without a foursome, that means a really, really bad, good Christian guy gets put on your team, all right? Well, the other three guys were pretty salty. Well, he starts firing off angry texts at his buddy and says some pretty inappropriate things. And uh, I didn't really know what was going on, but the next thing I know, I know saw the guy that couldn't come. He tells me about it, says, I'm never talking to him again we're done. And I'm like, really? Because they used to be good golf buddies. Just done. Now here's the moral of the story. After two years, um, they met and they told me about it. They ended up, one of them parks always in the back, one of them parks in the This Sunday, they drove around the back looking for a parking space. They ended up talking. And the one guy who said what he said two years ago, walked straight up to him and says, dude, I'm sorry and they put it back together. And Kevin came in and told me, he says, man, I want you to know, I, I saw him in the parking lot and I apologize. For two years, these dudes who used to play golf all of the time. Now that's pretty atypical of a men's, man's relationship, but it happens. And these guys were buddies, all right? And I've known this has been going on for two years and I know they're navigating through this. And you know, from time to time I'd say, hey, have you talked? Nope, not gonna talk to him. Nope, not gonna talk to him. And so we always have to learn to master our moods. We can do that with our friends. We can do that with people at the office. And a lot of times we just don't think, I, can do it. I can't do anything about it. But the truth is biblically, we all can. We all can. And so I want to encourage you, write this down, guys. If you want to destroy your relationship, don't master your mood. You want to destroy your, um, your uh, success uh, in marriage or with your kids or with your friends or with other people. Don't control your moods. Because if you don't, you can guarantee that you're going to destroy yourself. And this, it's a skill. Let me tell you what, mastering your moods is a skill. It is a skill that is learned that I am not going to fly off the handle and I'm not going to respond the way I want to. I'm not going to just do this. Now, so let me give you a thought. If you want to write this down, and uh, you're, in, you're in Genesis 4, I want you to stay there. But here's what it says in Proverbs, talking about our moods. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, it says, Like a city whose walls are broken down, are broken through, is a person who lacks self-control. A person who just explodes all the time, who a person who can't control their moods is like a city with its walls broken down. What does that mean? That everything that is important to you, 
that you typically would have in your city walls, right? When you and I lack self-control and we lose it all the time and we don't control our moods, everything that is important to us, that is special to us, everything we love is exposed, is exposed to the enemy. And so guys, I want you to start thinking about that. When you can't control what you say and how you react and how you live, that the city walls around the things you love so much are broken down and completely exposed. Now, we may think nothing's gonna happen, right? Uh, we may think no one's ever gonna break in. Here's what I know, is that, uh, man, I don't think my house will ever get broken, broken into. I pity the person that does. Uh, but it happens to someone every night, doesn't it? It happens to someone every night. And so guys, I wanna tell you, if you don't learn this skill, you're gonna fail somewhere. It might not be in your family, but it might be at the office. It might not be at the office because you own the business, but it could be in your friendships. It could be in your relationships. And so this is important, guys. It, when we lose it, you have broken down your own walls around the things that you love so much, the things you work so much. I'll just give you a classic example right now. And some of you may like this and some of you may not like. We have a president in our country that makes some amazing decisions that are good for this country. How many of you would agree with that? Not all of his decisions. We have a president that burns down through his emotions as much as he builds up. How many of you would agree with that? I mean, you, you, what, it, what is the, the last approval rating I saw of Trump was like 42%. I had this conversation with our kids at Chili's last night. Our family was eating at Chili's and they were talking about, my youngest son thinks everything Trump does is right. It doesn't matter. He's, all, he's been a Trump guy all the way. And uh, he said, uh, uh, he was like, I, I said, it's everything. And I said, guys, this is a lesson to you. He's a genius at winning. He's a genius at making some tough decisions and you cannot question his boldness for doing the right. But what he says, destroys and my guess was and this was a guess that i threw i haven't verified this but i said his last approval rating that i saw was 42 percent if he didn't tweet and talk to people the way he did i think his approval rating would be 55 percent what is he doing he's tearing down his own walls i'll tell you if he doesn't get reelected, it's on him it is on him period because of what he does is he alienates people and he always attacks people and that's his outburst so we've had other presidents that they were so mealy mouthed they wouldn't say and do anything, right? And our next one, we never know. But that is a classic example. But the truth is, and kind of at the conversation, my wife said, I wonder what it's like being his wife. And uh, I thought that, Doug. Doug said, which one? And I, I looked at my wife and I said, you want to see? I can just let it rip everything I think I'm just going to say for about a week. And she goes, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> so guys, it's important. We have to have the skill of mastering our moods, hey, limiting our outburst. Why? Because anytime we do, anytime we lose it, the city walls around those things we love so much 
have a tendency to fall down. Now, uh, uh, emotions affect us a lot. I did some I did some research last night. You don't have to memorize this, but uh, you know, it, I, I ran through this article about emotions of a woman and emotions of a man, or emotions of girls and emotions of boys, and. It was kind of an interesting as I was reading these articles, and um, they were talking about that women and men have a tendency to handle their emotions differently. Men, when our emotions get out of control, we choose activity as a distraction. So we have some explosive emotion, and then we go embark on an activity. What do we do? We go down to the bar and have a drink, right? A wife goes and sits and smolders. You understand there's a difference. When we lose our emotions, men, it's proven, choose activity. They'll, some men will go sit at the gambling table. Some, get, some guys will go play golf. Some guys will go do this. We'll go lift weights. I'm mad I'm going to go lift weights. That's how we choose. Uh, a woman, uh, those people in our life, they will have a tendency to smolder about it. They choose inactivity, and their mind just begins to roll. What do we want to do? We want to explode compartmentalize, go do some fun activity, go shoot guns or do something like that, lift weights, and then it's over for us, right? But what we've done is we've torn down the walls of those that we love the most. So let me just give you some stats, talking about men choosing activity. Let me give you some stats on the difference between men and women. Uh, men, the last study that I saw, are twice as likely as women to be alcoholics. Why? Sure, it's addiction, but a lot of it has to do with what? Can't control our emotions. We, we've blown something up. We uh, said something to someone we didn't like. Uh, someone says something to us we don't like. What do we do? Go, get, go grab a drink. Uh, men are three times, well over three times, more likely to be drug addicts. To have some sort of drug that we have a tendency to choose some risky behavior, right? Most of the time, According to these studies, it can be tracked back to some uncontrolled emotion. And sometimes it's a fear or it's, a, it's an anxiety or it's something else that we've chosen. Men are three times more likely, this isn't going to uh, surprise anybody, to be involved in a fatal crash. Is there a guy in this room that you've ever driven fast because you were mad? And typically when that happens, if it's like my family, my wife's over there going, slow down, slow down. And what does that do? That makes me matter, right? And it gets me going faster, right? Why? Because our natural tendency, God built us as doers, guys. God built us as doers. And we have a tendency when we blow it, when we explode, when we do something, the thing we do is we follow it up with an activity that becomes dangerous for us or others around us. It, along with that, uh, men are eight, eight times more likely to die by homicide or commit a homicide. Right? Die by homicide is you mean that means you had a wife that had had enough, right? <laughs> or commit a homicide. Why? Because when we can't control our moods, what do we do? We're looking for somebody to inflict damage on. 
that has a tendency to be how we can live. Now, none of us in this room would do that, but just we are eight times, men are eight times more likely than women to end up in prison. How many of you say these are all encouraging stats about manhood? It all, but you can all take it back to at some point, we couldn't master our mood, our mood of feeling lonely. What do we do? We choose. I want to go be a part of it. Doesn't matter if they're drinking or whatever. Uh, boys are way more likely to be kicked out of school than girls. How many of you know that? Just because there are a bunch of mean girls in school. Ran across another article on gambling. That there are men, apparently, I, I will tell you as your pastor, I've never done this, uh, but if you go into a casino, there is an observable difference in how men act in a casino and how women act in a casino. Women have a tendency to go to the slot machines and just sit there with a couple of other girls next to each other or by themselves and just enjoy, this is exactly what it said, kind of the relaxing, uh, sedate nature of what it means to put some money in there, pull it, and hope that all of the fruits line up. Where are men? We are at the tables. We are at the tables trying to be like God and beating the odds, right? That's the way men, and there is an observable difference between how men operate and how Why We choose activity, they choose inactivity. We explode and then go follow it up with a destructive behavior. Women have a tendency to smolder and struggle and really think introspectively about what should I say, how should I respond, and how should I do? But let me tell you what, the casinos take advantage of that. They take advantage. Guys, you go look at the money that Vegas gathers every year. They're not building those hotels off the backs of our wives. It's guys who walk in there and say, I'm the one that's going to beat the house. And they're like, you may be the one. And that's going to cost another thousand of your friends that's going to cause them to think they can beat the odds. So guys, if we don't learn to master our moods, we can destroy everything that is special to us. Anybody uh, uh, ever... Uh, so in other words, as you think about those numbers, guys, we are impressive at being self-destructive. All right, you, usually we men, we're the first ones to the scene of the accident, aren't we? That means we were driving the bus. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We're the first ones to the scene of the accident. How many of you have ever heard of the phrase raising cane? How many of you have ever heard the phrase raising cane? You know, a lot of people just think, well, it, it, whatever it is, that's an idiom that is first put in, published in print in a St. Louis newspaper back in 1840. And if you ever see that phrase, you will notice that the C on the cane is capitalized. And the C on the cane is capitalized because it actually is... It actually is a reference back to Cain in the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, who could not control his emotions, who couldn't keep his emotions in check, and it led to something. And so there became a phrase back in the 1840s that for those who didn't want to step across the line and say someone was raising Hades, they started saying raising Cain. 
And it talked about having a murderous spirit or a destructive spirit. And that's why they say that anybody, how many of you have heard the little joke or at least a phrase that's sometimes told, um, uh, told in Sunday school class or something like, who were the first two troublemakers in the Bible? Adam and Eve. Why? Because they raised Cain, right? Anybody ever heard that? That phrase goes all the way back to that 1840 newspaper. That was one of the first joke sections in newspaper. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You have the jokes, joke section. That was the first joke, the first time in 1840 that we see that phrase, raising cane used. Then you saw it a lot in literature, is that two rival gangs last night raised cane or raised havoc in the middle of the street. Or um, phrases that you and I probably had written on notes back to our moms and dad. Your son raised cane when the teacher left the room, right? When we were in school, right? What is our, what is our tendency? When we can't control our emotions, we have a tendency to embark on some destructive behavior. And so let's go back and let's talk about this first idea of what it meant to raise Cain. So if we get to Genesis chapter 4, pick it up in verse 1, let's just begin to read. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, he has brought forth a man. So we're talking about Cain is the firstborn of Adam and Eve. It says, later, she gave birth to her brother, to his brother Abel. It says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked in the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits, uh, uh, fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering for portions uh, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, but Cain, but on Cain's offering, uh, God did not look with favor. So what was Cain's natural response? He got angry, and his face, it says, was downcast. That meant that he lost control of his emotions. So here's this picture. You've got this couple, first couple in the Bible, Adam and Eve, all right? Think about it. You think your marriage goes through some rocky times, all right? There are times that people think, why can't my marriage be like all the marriages in the Bible that were all perfect? Let me tell you what, you want me to spend some time dispelling that idea, uh, I'll show it to you. So if you're going through some rocky seasons and some rocky times, just look at the marriages in the Bible and be honest about it. But think about this, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect place, right? The Garden of Eden. How many rules did they have in the garden? One, how many of you, let's be honest, let's step back, we're men. We could have done it, right? How many of you think if God all of a sudden took us and placed us in the Garden of Eden, where everything was there for us, everything was great, and all he said is, listen, just don't eat the fruit off that one tree. How many of you think you could do it? You're liars. <laughs> You're liars. Yeah, but... but but think about it, they, if you think your life is hard, it was hard for Adam and Eve, and they had one rule in the perfect place, and they messed it up. Then they had two boys who got in a fight, right? And one of the sons ended up 
killing, murder, and the other thing. How many of you would say that's a little messed up? My guess is in this room, you've had some sibling rivalries. Anybody had any sibling rivalries? There are times that, uh, uh, talking about a lawyer over here, there are times that things have to go to a mediator, right? I want to encourage you to listen to the devotional today. I'll talk about a mediator. There's one mediator between us and God, Jesus Christ the righteous. You say, I don't get that. Yeah, you do. You ever had any of your kids that are just going at it? And you step in. What does a mediator do? Step in. You separate them. And you say, don't say that to your sister or brother. Don't say that to your sister and brother. Y'all kiss and make up. I've been on the receiving end of that. What is the last thing you want to do at that point is shake your brother's hand or hug your brother's neck. And your mom says it. And you're just kind of sitting there. I'm going to kill you when we get in the backyard. That's a mediator. Mediator trying to bring harmony back together. But it says Cain couldn't control his emotions. Now think about it. Cain brought some of the grain. Abel brought some of his first and best livestock. God rejected one and accepted the other. So the answer is what? Murder somebody? No. How about this? If you sense that God is accepting something else in someone's life and not necessarily accepting your life, instead of wanting evil for them, how about you approach God and say, Hey, God, how can I, how can I move beyond where I am so when I bring a sacrifice and an offering to you, it's acceptable? Does that make sense? But instead, he didn't control his motions. And he ended up killing his brother. Let's continue to read on and let's notice. Um, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? So now what's happened is he's got mad. He's gone out. He's put on his best pouty face. So God shows up and God calls him out. Let me ask you a question, guys. And this happens all the time. You ever shown up in a message or a Bible study or a sermon sometimes and the pastor steps on your toes based on the sin that you just did that week and you are mad and so you sit there and say I'm not going back to church you know why people I'm just gonna be honest with you, you want to know why people don't want the pastor to ever talk about money because most people are unfaithful to God with their money right <coughs> So what do they do? They walk out of there and say, every time I come to church, the pastor's talking about money. Well, that tells me one of two things. First of all, if you are that unlucky, where the only times you show up in church, they're talking about money, don't go to Vegas. All right? Because I will promise you, I don't care who it is, even the prosperity gospel preachers, they don't preach about money every Sunday. But the real problem is usually you've been caught in a crime. And the crime is not being faithful to God. Right? And so God shows up to Cain and says, Why are you downcast? Why are you upset? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Boy, isn't that the thought that God says, man, you walked away mad. How about this? Instead of being mad and losing your emotions and lacking control in your emotions, just do what's accepted. Isn't that the way we are a lot of times? Instead of us changing our behavior or controlling our moods, we just get madder and madder that someone responds the way they do, right? 
And that's exactly what is happening here. So notice, here's what happens. Cain begins to reject, uh, uh, reject all of God's advice. God says, but if you do what is right, if you don't do what is right, notice this, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Guys, if we do not control our emotions, sin is crouching at the door. I'll guarantee you, Satan will always be feeding you, and the world will always be feeding you opportunities to lose it. And when we lose it, it's hard to be salt and light. If you were in the services on Sunday and you heard Mike Goddard's testimony, man, it's hard to be salt and light if you're going to walk around and lose it. Or you're going to be doing a lot of apologizing to your wife and to your kids and those you work with and your friends and those in your neighborhood. Why? If we can't control our moods, guys, that is a skill that is learned. And I want you to know, it is not natural. There are some people that are more prone to outburst because of the way you grew up or just because of the way you're knit together. You're more prone than others. But if you and I are going to be as successful as God wants us to be in our marriages and in, in our service to God and in church and in the offices and in our relationships, skill number one is we have to learn to control our moods. And if we don't learn to control our moods, you need to understand and I need to understand that sin is crouching at the door. Now, as you continue to read on, he says, why are you mad? He says, if you aren't careful, if you don't control your mood, sin is crouching at your door. Now look at verse 8. It says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, I got an idea. Let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? Well, not anymore, right? Then notice what it says, verse 10, And the Lord said to him, Why have you done, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground to me. What was God saying? You brought me an offering. The offering wasn't acceptable. That was on you. If you'll just turn around and do what was right, we have no problem. But if you're going to walk around and you're going to stay mad and you're going to get angry and you're not going to master your mood, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take your brother out and you're going to kill him. And let me tell you what, that's an analogy, guys. We can kill our wives if we can't control our mood. We can kill our kids. I'm talking about metaphorically. I'm not encouraging anything. We can kill our kids, right? We can kill our careers. I've known people in this church who absolutely have killed their companies because of their emotions. I know people in this church that have killed life groups because they got crossways with someone, they got angry with someone, and they begin to burn the place down. They begin to burn. Anybody ever know anybody like that? Anybody ever know anybody in church like that? That all of a sudden, instead of getting over it, what do you do? Man, I am just firing off at this person. I'm firing off at this person. And what am I doing? I'm just burning people down. And so, guys, skill number one is we've got to learn to control our moods. Somebody tell me what time it is. Huh? Y'all think I can do it? No. Three till. No? Three till. 
What do you want to be done? I've got seven biblical ways to control your mood. Brian, you've heard me preach for a long time. Do you think I can do it in three minutes? You, do you want, to, you, want to, you want to bet on that? No, sir. All right. Huh? Okay, I'm, I'm, yeah. All right, if I don't get through this, I'm going to be hacked off. All right, thought number one is this. How to, ha- how to master your moods biblically. Control your temper. Control your temper. It's just that simple. You say, ah, oh, can I do that? Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, A person's wisdom yields, listen to this, patience. As we get wiser, we have to get patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. In other words, how does it start? How do I start off controlling my temper? I've got to be willing to overlook someone else's mistake. I've got to be willing to overlook someone else's mistake. And then write down this, and, and, and I won't read these because we're going to get through. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. And then Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. You can write that down. That's under controlling your temper, ways to control your temper. That simply says that's Jesus who says, Do as to others as you would have them do unto you. Practice that. Here's thought number two on mastering your mood. Don't go around exploding all the time. That seems easy. You can act, don't explode all the time. You have got to learn. You say, you're telling me to stuff it, Pastor. I am. You go read any study. There are some people that just say, I've got to blow up and get it off my chest and then I'm good. You know what? You go look at the study. That doesn't make you any less angry. It just makes you more destructive. There are some people who think, well, I just, I, I just fly off the handle. Anybody ever had someone say, I fly off the handle and then I'm good? No, you're not. You're not good. Because when you fly off the handle or you blow up, you harm those around you. Plus, physiologically, it doesn't make you any less mad. Those who just go into a cuss fit or whatever. They don't all of a sudden get over what happened faster than the person that didn't go into the cuss fit. Does that make sense? So you have got to learn to stop exploding. You have to control it. You can't do it. Look at what Psalm verse 4, verse 4, write this down, says. It says, tremble and do not sin when you are in your beds. It says, search your hearts, and listen to these words, and just be silent when you're angry. Why? Don't say, when you get fired up, don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. I will promise you, I would not be your pastor after 24 years if I said the first thing that came to my mind in every conversation. Now, I would feel good, I will tell you, the day before I retire, I've got some things to say say to some people. Because I think, I think some people believe that term pastor doesn't mean shepherd, it means pincushion. That people think, and they know, I can come say anything I want to for the, for, to the pastor. And if he doesn't respond like Jesus would, I'm going to go tell everybody he lost it. Does that make sense? I guarantee you I could not, with my anger... Probably within the next 48 hours, if I exploded and said the wrong thing, I could not be your pastor within 48 hours. Just ask my wife. Just ask my wife. 
So you can't explode. You sometimes have to be silent. Write this down, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Guys, we've got to get over it. We can't explode. We've got to get over it. We've got to get over it. Here's another one you can write down as it relates. Don't explode. Don't think exploding makes, makes you release your anger. Here's another one. Psalm 37, verse 8. It says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. What is he saying? Man, the more you get angry and the more you get wrathful and the more you think about it, what's going to happen? At the end of the day, it's only going to get worse, guys. We have got to learn to be the bigger man, even with our own emotions. Here's number three. We have to guard our minds. How do we guard our minds? Above all else, guard your heart and your mind, for from it flows every good thing in life. And that's Proverbs 4, verse 23. Guys, we've got to, we can't let ourselves think things that aren't true about us or other people. We can't go around thinking, they did that to me. They might have done it, but half the time they didn't do it to you. They just screwed up. Does that make sense? They just, you know, I mean, think of road rage incidences, right? That's most of life. What happens in a road rage incident? Typically, someone just carelessly makes a mistake on the road. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They pull into the wrong lane, they don't see someone, and instead of saying, hey, I've done that, we pretend that we're Mario Andretti. And I've never made a mistake on the track, right? And so we hit the horn. Or we go up and swerve into them. I've never done these things. I've just heard that people have done these things. I used to refer to it, and this was early in my days. Then as my kids started driving, I, stopped. I used to say, anybody ever said, I said, sweetheart, it's okay. I'm just teaching them a lesson. Anybody ever done that on the road? I, I admit to you. And then Gina starts in wisely squeezing my hands and say, we've got one that's about to start driving in about a year in the back. Is this really? And it was Jace who needs this message controlling his emotions. Last thing I want to do is teach him. So we, how does, and then what happens? A road, have y'all thought about this lately? And the next thing you know, someone's shot. Don't you just think, how crazy is that? But guys, let me tell you what, in small ways, and there might not be physical bullets, we can create that same anger that leads to death in our relationships at the office and with our wife and with our kids and with our friends, where our kids look at us someday after we've blown up at them for the last moment, and they say, you're dead to me. Let me tell you what, when your kids look at you, and say, you're dead to me. They may not say those words, but emotionally they just built that wall up. You have failed to succeed. Does that, you understand what I'm talking about, guys? We have got to stop exploding. We've got to guard our minds. We've got to step back. And when, some, when, when you begin to think or Satan begins to tell you, they did that against you. You better step back and say, did they really? Did they really? Did they really? Or did they just do it and it affected me? That's what happens in a road trip. Someone just makes a mistake and pulls into your lane. They didn't circle you and say, here comes Justin. I'm going to pull into his lane now. 
They just acted a fool at that moment. Does that make sense? They weren't doing it to you. You just happened to be affected by it. The question is, how are we going to respond? Here's the next idea. Ready? Hold your tongue, number four. Hold your tongue. I'm just going to give you a passage. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 to 13. It just talks about... Uh, just I'm going to read the first verse. But now you must get rid yourself of all such things as anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Now notice the phrase. Get rid of them all from your lips. All of those will always come out of our lips. We've got to get rid of all those. That's Colossians chapter 3 verse 8. Hold your tongue. Number five, learn to forgive quickly. Learn to forgive quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, and Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Forgive quickly. Here's number six. Let God fight your battle. Let God fight your battle. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 21. I'm going to read this to you. Paul says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right. Go all the way back to God's conversation with Cain. What did God say to Cain? Why are you downcast? Why don't you just do what is? Here we are over, all the way over in the New Testament. Paul, the apostle, is talking about taking revenge, and he says what? I got an idea. Instead of lacking control in your moods and retaliating against something, how about if you just do what is right? First brother relationship in the Bible. One brother kills another brother because he can't control his motions and he doesn't do what is right. All the way into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is still telling men, don't take revenge. Instead, do what is right. Here's number seven, your last one. If you think your emotions are out of control, seven, believe God can help you control it. Believe that God can help you bring your emotions back under control. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, as we look at this first skill, controlling our emotions. God, for these who are in the room and these who are going to listen to this podcast later. God, let us be men who master our moods. God, how many, how many relationships, how many uh, uh, careers, how many uh, uh, lives, how many... Uh, People have been destroyed by men who didn't master their moods. God, how many men have destroyed themselves because we didn't master our moods? God, let us be men that aren't raising Cain, but instead we're living like Abel, simply doing what is right in your eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.